This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put a binge on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Oh, hey. Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know. They're both good. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. What is up, my luscious Labia legends? Oh, God. I just can't resist chucking in like a lab-centric alliteration on occasion, can I? That's twice now. Um, so welcome. I have got a ripper guest for you today to chat about all things herpes. And we're going to dismantle some fucking stigma today, bitches. Like, it is on. And I just want to apologize because I'm just experimenting with using the term bitches like that. Like, Lockie does not think it's cute. When, I, when I'm like, yeah, bitch, he's like, Oh, I don't know if you can get away with that. So obviously I'm still trying to make it work. Let me introduce to you though, Adrian, aka the Yoni Nutritionist. Adrian's a certified holistic nutritionist and women's health coach, sex educator and STI advocate. What a combo. She helps women manage and eliminate symptoms of chronic vaginal infections like yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, UTIs, candida overgrowth, HPV, and genital herpes, HSV1 and HSV2, with a holistic nutrition and lifestyle approach. As a passionate STI advocate, Adrian empowers women within their sexuality to end the shame and stigma of these very common vaginal health issues. Keyword, very common, and we're going to chat about that because you should not be feeling alone in this. And she does this so they can feel confident within themselves and enjoy their sex lives again. And thank God there are people like you, Adrian, to support us in this and have these conversations that I feel like we're just, you know, like they're not being had enough. So I'm very grateful that you've agreed to come into the Labia Lounge today. Welcome, my dear. Thank you so much. That was such an amazing intro, too. <laughs> so good. I was like, yes. Okay. <laughs> Who is this bitch? Yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. Yes, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. 
thanks um it's always a bit of a mess from the top because i'm kind of like stream of consciousnessing and riffing but um yeah i feel like i'm getting smoother slowly (laughs) Um, i feel like i'm used to talking like that i'm canadian so we talk like that to each other all the time yes bitch perfect all right (laughs) well i've chosen my audience well fuck yeah i'm gonna be peppering it throughout the whole episode now fuck lucky whatever it's cute (laughs) Especially when we're talking about shame, we got and empowering each other through these things, you know, and empowering others. We got to be like, yeah, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Love it. Yes. Love that. Thanks for enabling me. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this week in the Labia Lounge, we're going to delve into the commonly taboo and stigmatized topic of genital herpes. I'm talking like how to manage herpes holistically, how it works in the body and how you can get it and how you can't dating with herpes, how and when to tell someone that you're jazzing that you have herpes, the root cause of chronic vaginal infections and like how to manage these recurring infections naturally and just like just all things vaginal health really. So yeah, stick the fuck around because uh, this is going to be a doozy in the best way. <laughs> and my first <laughs> question to you, Adrian, um, just to kind of get it out there right from the get-go is like, Give me some stats. How common is her, like, is it actually to have herpes? Because I think, like, you know, hearing stats like that can really help destigmatize it by showing people how common it is and that they're not alone in this. Yes, definitely. I mean, just with the work that I do, I can't even believe how common it is. Like, I must get at least five to 10 people reaching out to me every day wanting to talk about it. And, mm. um, So just to throw out some stats and to start off with saying that there are two different types of herpes. So there's HSV-1 and HSV-2, the same ones that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of same, same, but different. Because HSV-2 is easy to remember because that's the genital herpes is HSV-2. HSV-1, though, can be both genital and oral and can be sexually transmitted or non-sexually transmitted. Mm -hmm. The HSV-2 type is typically sexually transmitted from genital to genital. But what a lot of people don't know is that people who get oral cold sores that they might have had all their life since they were a kid and probably most likely weren't sexually transmitted, but if you have those cold sores on your mouth, you can transmit to some, them to somebody's genitals if you go down on them. So mm. I just wanted to clarify that because mm. a lot of people don't know that. And that's how genital herpes is mostly spread. I so, you know, you have this like non-sexually transmitted cold sore on your face that you don't even think twice of. You know that you're not supposed to kiss somebody or be sexually active with somebody when you have it, but you go down on somebody and then you give them genital herpes mm. and then... They have a way more stigmatized virus than the oral herpes. So I just yeah. wanted to clarify that. Yeah, thank but you. But the, the difference between the two is important statistically because the HSV-1 kind is much more common. At least one in four people have HSV-1. And one in six people have HSV-2. Mm. But these... These are results from the CDC, like you can Google it and look them up. But this doesn't include people who live with herpes asymptomatically. 
because a lot of people do. They live with herpes, they've never had an outbreak or they've never had a symptom in their life, but the herpes virus is in their bodies. And they may never even know it, or sometimes they may one day get a cold sore either genitally or orally. Most of the time, it's asymptomatic. That's how herpes works. And what's what's the problem with um with this is that there are no testing. There's no testing for herpes on a normal STI panel. You have to ask for it separately. Mm. So the reason why I'm kind of launching into this tangent is because one in four people with HSV-1 and one in six people with HSV-2, these are the people who know that they have it and have gotten tested and confirmed. Mm. The rest of the population who's walking around with herpes asymptomatically mm. have no clue. Yeah, so they wouldn't wow. even know to get tested because they have to specifically ask separate, separately for a herpes test. Yeah, totally. I love that you mentioned I feel like that. that was just a lot. That was a lot. Oh, <laughs> sorry, so good though. So good. Yeah. Oh, no. Like I am stoked because that was going to be one of my questions. Like, can you get it from passing it from the mouth to the genitals? And then my next question was also like, um, yeah, in, in regards to like how you can contract it and stuff. So, you know, if you are an asymptomatic individual that doesn't know you have it, are you contagious or are you only contagious if you have an active outbreak with like sores on your genitals or a cold sore? So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about like how you can get it and, and where you actually don't have to worry about getting it. Yeah, so most of the time herpes is transmitted asymptomatically because nobody wants to have sex or be sexually active when they have a cold sore. A, why would you do that? And B, it's painful. So I don't know. And C, sometimes people have an outbreak and don't realize it because it's so mild. Like a cold sore, a herpes outbreak on your genitals would look very similar to a cold sore that somebody would get on their lip. It happens usually in one place. It goes away within like a week. It's, it's usually pretty mild. Like if somebody's had herpes for a while, um, but most of the time it's transmitted asymptomatically and that being people who know that they have it, but don't know that their body is in kind of an active state of transmission or people who don't know that they have it and obviously don't know that their body is in a state of transmission. And it's a, it's a virus. Herpes is a virus of the nervous system, but it's passed by skin to skin contact in the site where the where that cold sore usually comes up is where it would be transmissible, even if you don't have an outbreak or a cold sore. And that's something called viral shedding, where your body is shedding the cells of the virus and you don't realize it because you don't have any symptoms. So um, somebody that has a is in kind of a weakened immune state is much more susceptible to this viral shedding. Because yeah. again, herpes is a virus and yeah. it's a virus of the nervous system, but it appears on the skin. Wow. So, cause I, th- I've, I mean, this is exactly why I wanted to cover this topic. Cause even I like feel like I've been believing some misinformation and there is so, so much conflicting info out there. But I remember, um, I had a lover once who had herpes, but hadn't had an active outbreak for, you know, five years or something. And he was kind of talking me through it um before we had sex and yeah he was just like yeah like it's it's not possible that I could give it to you because I don't have any active like sores or broken skin or whatever and so I kind of was of the understanding at the time that it was totally totally safe and you know I I got um 
tested afterwards and it's all I didn't I didn't contract it in that case but I'm thinking now that you're speaking it would have been possible or is it kind of like since he hadn't had an active outbreak for five years and therefore his immune system must be quite robust it probably wasn't likely that that he would would have like I mean yeah like Talk me through this a little bit more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's hard for me to say because it's different. Herpes works differently in everybody's bodies mm-hmm. and it, it to- totally depends on the health of your immune system. So did he have like a robust immune system? Most likely. Could there been, could there have been a time where he w- was shedding the virus to you and didn't know it? Absolutely. But you didn't get it. So obviously, you no. Know. Yeah. Like I've had, over my 20 years of living with genital herpes, I've had a lot of partners, trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of unprotected sex. <laughs> and I've never given it to anybody. Like, And this is a, such a misunderstanding and a misconception is non-HSV positive people, which is like people who don't have herpes, a lot of people who are unaware just assume that as soon as you sleep with somebody that has herpes, you're going to get it. That is yeah. absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Like you're a perfect example. I'm an example of that. It happens, of course, but the chances are are um, low. And there's some things that you can do to mitigate some risks, which we can talk about too. Mm, but um, yeah. the chances are low. If that person isn't in an active outbreak situation, the chances are low that they're going to pass it to you. It happens, but it does depend on the health of their immune system. Yeah, and your immune system as well, I guess, you know, like how how easily it can get in if you're run down or if your immunity isn't firing on all cylinders. Okay, cool. So it's yeah, it's obviously not not black and white. Um and it isn't no. as yeah, I feel like there's so much fear around contracting it from people that don't like it is like, Oh my god, if I have sex once with this person, I'm definitely also going to have herpes and it's like, oh, not no, not really. No. Um, but it also isn't like you know as black and white as what this old lover of mine was saying, which is like you cannot get it from me unless you can visibly see sores on my body, because there is a chance that you possibly could if if he was like shedding. Okay, that's helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah, so we can pass from cold sore in the mouth to genitals, um, even. Yeah. Okay, cool. This is good. This is good. (laughs) Um, And it also like if somebody gets oral cold sores, they can shed from their mouth as well. So like if somebody doesn't have a cold sore, but their immune system is a bit weakened or suppressed and they're shedding, but they don't know it, they could go down on somebody and transmit it. Usually they, there is, there are some symptoms. They're just really, really like low key that somebody may not even recognize. Yeah, like yeah. super subtle. Sometimes a lot of people mention tingling. Yeah. Some people mention yeah. nerve pain. Some women mention like a mild yeast infection or like kind of a rundown feeling. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I've heard all of those as well. Like the tingling in particular seems to be a common telltale. Like if they're, mm. yeah. So what about, um, cause I also heard this may or may not be true. Um, I also heard that if you have already got HSV one, then you can't get HSV two. Oh God! <laughs> no, nope. that's not true. You can oh God! Get both. <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah. You can get both. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that I know is. A couple people who have both. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Because I've heard that from a couple of people who um, have heard that from their doctor because they have HSV2. And so their doctor has been like, yeah, just tell tell partners like, hey, have you had cold sores? And if they say yes, be like, chill, don't worry. You can't get the the genital kind from me then because you've already got that. And that that's like come from their doctor apparently. So um, I thought I'd, I'd ask about that because when, yeah, when I heard that from a friend, I was like, oh, I I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> um, all right. So debunking myths. That's fantastic. Well, um, I, I maybe yeah. should clarify something on that point because mm-hmm. HSV2 is a genital herpes. It's very, very rarely transferred to orally. Mm-hmm. But HSV1, like I mentioned earlier, a cold sore on your lip can be transferred orally. Yeah. So can you get both? Yes, you can have HSV1 and HSV2. Can you get HSV2 on your lips? No. That's well, you can, but it's very rare that that happens. Yeah. Um, like I don't know how. Like if somebody goes down on you and you have a cold sore, like obviously you're gonna spread it. But uh, who would want to do that? But anyways, um, <laughs> but HSV1 is the one that can be transferred to both. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yes, you can have both mm. as well. There's yeah. no immunity. If you have HSV1, you're immune against HSV2. No. Mm. And, but it's, and, it's the same virus anyways. Like it's yeah. same, same, but different. Like I said earlier, they just, mm. the differences between the two is that um, they sit in different nerve, nerve endings in the body. Wow. And again, like one just affects the genitals and one affects both oral and genital. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, my next question was a bit about how it actually does work in the body because it's so fascinating. So it, I'd love it if you could give us a little rundown, like you've touched upon it a little bit already, but, yeah, how how does it work in the body and how can we kind of use that knowledge to mitigate some of the, you know, the risks with outbreaks and, and immunity stuff? Yeah, and I think it's good because when you can understand the virus and how it works in the body from kind of a, a logical perspective, like it takes away a lot of the shame and stigma of it. And when mm. you can kind of when you can kind of separate your emotions from it, it's like, oh, okay, you know. So um, herpes, like I mentioned, is a virus of the nervous system. So usually it's triggered by something, a stress kind of trauma trigger. Whether it be emotional or sometimes it's triggered by food, sugar, alcohol, coffee, caffeine. Sometimes it's triggered by sex. Sometimes it's triggered by, yeah, it just depends. Everybody's different. Emotional stress. Um, mm. It's usually some kind of stress that herpes is triggered by. And yeah. the HSV2 type of herpes, the it lies dormant in the nervous system at the base of the spine and the HSV1 herpes so the oral cold sores lies dormant uh, in the spinal or sorry no in the nerves behind the ear oh wow okay yeah so it's interesting so it's so then when the nervous system is stressed obviously because stress affects the nervous system that's when it can get irritated and inflamed and then come up to the surface of the skin. Yeah. So managing herpes, you know, when you're looking at it from a holistic point of view, it's really important to learn how to manage your stress. And especially if you're getting recurring outbreaks, like outbreak after outbreak, 
um, you got to pay attention to what's going on in your life mm. to be able to learn how to manage your stress, to be able to manage your herpes outbreaks. Yeah, absolutely. Stress is always like, it's such a big thing when it comes to so many, I guess, ailments or infections or just, it's, it's such a suppressant of the immune system. And, um, and I feel like it doesn't get enough airtime. Like we are like, oh no, stress is bad, de-stress. But like, I mean, I'm often way more conscious and careful of like what I'm eating, you know, exercise, what I'm putting in my body, things like that, than I am of like stress levels. And I can be, sometimes I can kind of get caught up in life and just get really overwhelmed and stressed, but be doing everything else right and still be like, what's going on? Why do I have like eczema all, all of a sudden flaring up or why have I got this? And I'm like, well, of course, you know, why am I getting more period pain than normal? And it's like, I'm doing all the right things, but stress is just so vicious with, with anything like that. So, um, I'd love to dive into some kind of, um, strategies around, yeah, like minimizing, um, stress and the likelihood of outbreaks and just like supporting our nervous system and our immune system. First though, we're going to do the segment, get pregnant and die. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant. And stop, stop, stop. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise. Um, so okay. do you have a story for us about how your sex education failed you or maybe a story you've heard from <laughs> a client or even just something that you would have loved to have learned more about that they didn't cover? Where do I even start? <laughs> yeah. Right? I've got a lot of stories I can tell you. <laughs> um, but I think the first thing that came to my mind was the the pregnancy, the topic of, of pregnancy because of the title of this. Yeah. And what I wish that I had known was if you're using an IUD and a menstrual cup, be careful when you're using your menstrual cup because you can pull out your IUD and not feel <gasps> it. God. And I, that happened to me, and I found out the hard way. <laughs> oh fuck! I got pregnant. So it had been dislodged having, or like pulled out completely. Like no, how? It, yeah, it's called um, an IUD expulsion. Mm-hmm. That's I think the proper term for it. Mm-hmm. And because the menstrual cup has that suction when mm-hmm. you pull it out, because when you when you menstruate, your cervix opens a little bit. Oh my god! So totally. it can. That suction can pull it out. And I, that's what happened to me twice, actually. The second time I noticed it, thank God. But the first time it happened, I got pregnant accidentally and just was having full on baby making sex, not even realize I wasn't on birth control. And I was on the copper IUD. And then I got pregnant while I was in Texas and oh. had to have an abortion in Texas. Oh my God, no. They pick it outside of the abortion cl- clinic and protest. Oh fuck. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. That sounds horrific. Far out. I didn't know so, that could happen. Yeah, it was so insane. And I wish my gynecologist had told, or I wish there was some kind of like, note or disclaimer thing on the IUD or sorry on the menstrual cup box Mm. is like caution this can happen if you're using an IUD and also what nobody told me was the postpartum 
depression because I was pregnant for about five weeks. And yeah, the, the postpartum stuff is pretty rough. Oh my God. So you got postpartum depression after getting a termination because the hormones all dropped away. And is that, yes. is that, wow, I haven't, no one talks about that. I haven't heard about that. I guess maybe people, cause I've had quite a lot of friends who have gone through terminations and, you know, obviously they're not all chipper afterwards. Like it's a fucked time and they're, they're really riding the waves of emotion and hormone fluctuations and like the grieving process and that sort of loss. But they've all kind of just assumed that it's, you know, that's, that's just the emotion and grief around having to have done that. And then obviously like the drop off of those hormones, but I guess none of them made the association with postpartum depression. Um, yeah. How long did that last for, for you? A couple months. Oh, wow. So about maybe two or three months. Yeah, yeah. It was rough. Nobody yeah. prepared me for that. Mm. And I, like I, the proceed, I, in my mind, I knew the procedure was the right thing to do because at the time I was traveling, I didn't have a home. Like the guy that I, I was just in a casual relationship with the guy in Texas that I was mm. staying with, like there's no way I would have been ready to have a baby. So it just was the logic, the, yeah. the best choice. Yeah. Absolutely. But afterwards I was like, what the fuck? Wow. Like I was devastated and I, oh. and it was my choice, but it was just like the weirdest took me a while to yeah. come yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, just because something is like the, your choice and like a sensible decision that's very logical and rational doesn't mean it's like any less difficult and conflicting. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh, babe, yeah. bitch. <laughs> I'm learning so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that share. experience. Mm. Yeah, it was a really, I mean, especially with the work that I do, it gave me a lot of mm. content, you know, and some totally. things to talk about. Totally. But, um, an yeah. experience, but yeah, I just don't wish that on anybody. So be careful mm. if you're using an IUD, be careful with using a menstrual cup. Yeah, big time, far out. I um, I have a hard enough time with the menstrual cup without an IUD. I mean, that cervical suction thing is no joke. Um, no. But um, it I, I was just reminded of a uh, I did an episode recently with Gemma Lee, um, who's a menstrual oh, coach, yeah? and yeah, so that that will probably come out just before this one. So definitely, if you haven't listened to it, gang, go and check that out. It's a really really amazing episode, and she was sharing. We're actually going to do another episode on terminations um but she was sharing like a little bit about her personal um experience with having to get a termination maybe a year and a half or so ago and yeah sort of saying a similar thing like in the line of work she does it certainly gave her a lot of like relatability and like content to like i mean you know she's like fuck trust she said something like trust the universe to just like send me you know something so that I really fucking like understand my clients now. And like, I've had to go through this thing so that I'm, you know, I'm even better at my job and more informed and more sort of sensitive to, you know, the full spectrum of experiences that you can have when it comes to like natural fertility awareness and da da da. So yeah, I think she, she was kind of on, on the same page as you, like it wasn't, obviously you wouldn't choose to have that experience if you could, but, um, it is sort of something that lends more depth of like understanding and compassion and experience to like you as a practitioner, I feel like, you know, 
Definitely. Yeah. It's funny because I was just on one of her podcasts this week. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Oh, look at us go. Yeah. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah, she's fabulous. Cool. Oh, well, there we go. Um, so I just wanted to chat before we get into like a, a bit more of the practical like strategies around, um, around managing herpes holistically and things, I want to like ask you what your opinion is. Like, why do you think there is so much stigma and therefore like shame and fear around herpes more, more than a lot of the other STIs? Yeah, I think herpes has a really bad reputation. It just, we didn't get the sex ed we should have gotten when we were all younger. First of all, I think we all got sex ed when we weren't even old enough to have sex. At least that's what it was like in Canada. And it was all just fear-based sex ed without actually understanding the facts. And it was more like, you know, scaring you around sex and sex is really shameful and sex, Mm. you know, and then all the religion and stuff behind all of that too. Mm. So, um, I think the lack of education is where the stigma comes from because I wouldn't believe how many people know nothing about herpes. Like Mm. people don't even know that oral cold sores are a form of herpes and can be transmitted to somebody's genitals. Like Mm. people think that people with um, genital herpes are walking around with blisters and sores all the time. (laughs) Like it's not (laughs) like that at all. It's like, a cold sore that comes up once in a while if you're like 27 out of 10 stressed for most people. Some people have a harder time because they're getting more and more outbreaks because they're more, they're more stressed. But that's why it's really important to learn how to manage it from a holistic approach Mm. to, um, to learn how to, to manage it. But it's, it's actually a very manageable virus and it's just the, the bad reputation that it has for being this lifelong virus that is super highly contagious and people are walking around with sores all the time. Like, no, Mm. (laughs) you and I both know that it's possible to have sex with somebody that has herpes and not transmit it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But then there are certain instances where it's just bad luck and you're doing all of the things. Like I know people who have had sex with one person, they wore a condom all did all the right things and still got herpes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's dependent on the location where the herpes outbreaks are. Mm. And women are more prone to get herpes because of the way our physiology is and all of the mucous membranes around the vagina. Oh. So women are more pr- prone to getting genital herpes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know that. It makes sense. Like so there's a lot guy- more. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, if a guy has a cold sore in the area on his pubic bone, that can then transmit. So it's not actually on his penis. It's like above his pu- pubic mm-hmm. bone or like, you know what I, where I mean. Yeah. That yeah. can then spread to a woman's genitals. Even if he's wearing a condom. Or yeah. Even if he's wearing a condom because that area isn't protected. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you know, like sex is messy. Like there's fluids going everywhere. There's skin and pubes and everything's rubbing and there's lots of friction and like, you know, and especially if you're bringing oral into it, like it's, it's, you know, it's tricky to like fingers and nails. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. So what is, 
been your journey with accepting? Like when you first, you know, you said you've, um, it's been about 20 years. Like where were you at when you first found out that you had the virus and like how, how did you go with like accepting and finding your feet with that? And what was the impact that it had on you and your sex life at the time? And yeah. So I was 20. I'm maybe 21 when I found out. So I've lived with it for half of my life now. Mm. And um, I was devastated because I was so young and it was with my second, I think it was my third sexual partner mm. ever. And um, I just didn't know anything about it at the time. And the first outbreak is always the worst. So that really sucked. But after that, I didn't have a problem with it for a really long time. Like I don't even think once for, for about, 15 years, I didn't have an issue with it or so. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it was weird. And then when I went back to school and I was in like pretty much a burnout situation from the stress, I was getting back-to-back outbreaks once a month, sometimes twice, every month for almost three years. (laughs) And it wasn't until, yeah, like it it wasn't until a couple years after I finished school and really learned how to take care of myself with it and really started prioritizing my rest and self-care did it start getting better. But with the shame of it, especially when I was getting those recurring outbreaks so often, it really messed with, messed with my mind. Whereas before it never did. Like I never even really thought twice about it. It wasn't an issue in my life and I would tell partners and they didn't really seem to care. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, okay, this mm-hmm. is easy. But then when I was going through those back to back outbreaks, it really, really fucked me up, to be honest with you. Like I, I just started not trusting my body anymore. Yeah. I was like, is this the way that it's going to be forever? Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Why has it never been like this? And now all of a sudden it is. Mm-hmm. And then my doctor would just give me the medication and not really tell me what else I could do mm-hmm. other than go to a herpes support group. <laughs> So, um, it really started to mess with me. So it took me a couple of years to sort of get through that. And it wasn't until honestly, I started the Yoni nutritionist three years ago and told the world. (laughs) And that day it was like a hundred pounds was lifted off of my shoulders. And then when people started coming to me being like, I have it too, I have it too, I have it too. And now like, I have my own Facebook group with almost two and a half thousand HSV positive people. And like, there are lots of herpes support groups on Facebook that are going on like 10,000. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have herpes who are going through the exact same feelings. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So awesome that there's communities like that online. And because I feel like it's mostly people who are not positive that are are like the ones that are like making a big deal of it and, and kind of perpetuating the stigma and the shame. Whereas, you know, once you've had it for a while, it sounds like everyone kind of realizes like you eventually chat with other people and then realize it's not a big deal. And when you've got those support networks, it's like, Oh, okay, cool. But then I think the ignorance or the lack of education um, for those that, that don't have it then is like where the pressure comes in and it makes it really tricky. Like it sounds like you've had a pretty chill time with like telling partners and stuff, but I know um, some of my friends have 
really struggled with that side of things and like one there's a lot of fear (laughs) yeah well yeah like you just don't know how someone's going to react and it's tricky to know how to navigate that and then obviously if you're already feeling a little bit of like nervousness or like shame or embarrassment around it and then the partner or potential partner like reacts poorly then that's just layering Mm -hmm. more of that like you know so damaging so I'd love to talk about um like disclosure, um, what about, you know, like dating or casual sexual encounters and then, you know, because like I'd imagine it being really daunting and quite difficult to navigate these conversations and be that vulnerable with someone new by telling them about it, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially with the amount of misinformation and ignorance that kind of comes out of the stigma that shrouds the virus and then that means like sometimes new potential partners just might, yeah, it might have quite a lot of fear or like misinformation and then react badly. Um, yeah, how how do you go about the conversation? When do you bring it up? Um, yeah, I, I think it could be like a great dickhead filter personally. I don't know. It could be like a really good way of um, filtering out the dudes you don't want to fuck anyway. But then at the same time, like it could also be a really good opportunity like to educate these people and like remove some of the fear around it by having the conversation if they're open to it. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about that. Like how do we go about disclosure? When should we be telling someone? Yeah. So I guess just starting to sharing my experience with, with it a little bit was in like when I was younger, my twenties and my thirties, I didn't, um, disclose all the time to be honest. And I also didn't usually disclose right up front. I would have sex with condoms and um, until it started getting kind of serious. Um, And as long as I wasn't in any kind of an outbreak situation, I was being safe. And, you know, if it started getting more serious and would talk about not using condoms, then I would tell them. And it seemed to be okay with some people. Some people didn't like that so much. They were like, I wish you would have told me up front, but okay, it is what it is, and we've already done it, so fine, whatever. So it really wasn't an issue for me until now. And girl, tell, uh, let me tell you, I have been going through it because I've been single for a long time, <laughs> and I've been putting myself out there a lot lately. And for the most part, I would say 75% of the time, the responses have been positive, mm-hmm. and guys are at least they either already know about it they've already had a partner who's had it or they have it themselves or they're just like cool and chill about it Mm -hmm. but the 25 percent oh my god (laughs) there's been so many like I just went through one of the worst disclosures I've ever had in my life and it really started making me think like back to that time when I was disclosing afterwards and like making sure that I was being safe and obviously not in an outbreak situation and then not telling him unless it got a little bit serious because that seemed to really work for me Mm. because I'm like, especially if I'm having casual sex with somebody, it's such a gray area because I'm like, if I'm being safe, if I know that I'm healthy and I'm not in an outbreak situation, is it really necessary to tell somebody if I know it's just going to be a casual fling? Like, that's that's what I've been kind of thinking about lately. And I've been talking a lot about this on my Instagram with some of my fellow herpes advocates with some people in the community and kind of just talking through this 
to say like, there's really no black or white. Like, should you tell them before you have sex with them? I'm going to say now in my experience, yes. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense for me because which I'll get into. So it's like, do you tell them before you have sex or do you kind of wait and make sure that you're, you're being safe, but wait to tell them until you're a bit more comfortable with them and they're a bit more comfortable with you or do you not tell them? There's not really a black and white way. You should do this and you shouldn't do this. But in my opinion, I always say that when you tell somebody before you get sexual with them, it gives them the choice that we all wish that we would have had. Yeah. Yeah. Before contracting herpes. And when you tell somebody you're so right by saying that it is a really good filter. Like when I look back at the 25% of guys and girls who have rejected me, it's like, I should never have been sleeping with them anyway. Mm, yeah, so absolutely. it is a really good filter. And when you tell them up front, it really builds like a foundation of trust in a relationship. Mm. And um, when you're standing in your truth and in your power and you feel confident within yourself with your herpes diagnosis, like that's a really, really good place of integrity in my opinion mm. to be. And when you're just like, this is how it is, take it or leave it. If you're not going to accept it, I'll find somebody else who will. Thank you next. But if you're okay with it, awesome. You know, and then you can relax and enjoy your sex. Because to me, like the stress that I would feel with the guilt of not telling somebody and like carrying on pretending like it wasn't there Mm -hmm. was more stressful for me than actually ripping the Band-Aid off and telling them before having sex. Yeah, totally. I can see why that would be, yeah. But some people are different. You know, some people get such bad anxiety around it, and some people just aren't ready. It's too new. It's a very vulnerable and personal conversation to have with somebody. So, you know, I always say also, like, you have to be ready to have this conversation. And you have to just like do it when you're ready, but also keeping being mindful of how the other person is going to feel when you tell Mm. them and how that would make you feel if you don't tell them right up front and just being in your integrity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really relate to like the, I feel like I would feel so much stress and guilt, um, not telling them. And I would just be so worried that like, even though we're careful and I was, you know, healthy, I didn't have any, um, didn't think I had any shedding. Like, like you were saying earlier, like sometimes you just can't tell and you just don't know when you're contagious and then it can just happen. There can be like, you know, freak occurrences where, it all should be safe, but then it's not. And then I would be just shit scared that that was going to happen and I hadn't told them and then it would be like way worse down the track. So I feel like I'd kind of, you know, have the uncomfortable conversation first just to save myself the stress of like, oh, my God, but how much worse would it be than this conversation if we had to have one later because they've gotten it and I haven't told them. Like, um, but it is like you said, it's not it's not black and white. And yeah, if you're in you know in integrity and like you're quite um, I can't remember the exact words you used, but you're sort of talking about being quite confident and solid in your diagnosis. You know how to manage it. It's like not news to you. That's a pretty good and like 
relatively easy place to have that conversation from compared to if maybe, you know, like you're 20 years old and you've just found out and you don't know that much about it yourself and it's so vulnerable and you're so embarrassed and ashamed. And then like, how the fuck do you have the conversation then, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a really it's, tricky. And I always say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And this is why it's really important when people get diagnosed, it's so important to learn about what your diagnosis means and what, how it works in the body and how you can prevent transmission to partners and how you can still have an amazing sex life and how you can manage it, et cetera. Because when you understand those facts, again, when you bring that logical part into it and take the emotional part of it out that's so connected to the stigma, it's like you can empower yourself with that information and knowledge. So it's really, really important because like, like you were saying, the guilt and the stress that would, that if you were to put yourself in those shoes where you didn't disclose right, right away, like that guilt and stress and shame can perpetuate itself into more outbreaks. Mm, so yeah, totally. it really is like, I, like when you're looking at all of the pros and cons to all of these things that we've just mentioned, like the benefits of telling somebody way up, up front before getting sexual there's way more benefits than the cons. Yeah. And it's like, I love what you said about how it really establishes this foundation of trust. And like when you are vulnerable enough to disclose something like that and come to this person and be like really earnest about it, be like, you know, obviously they would be able to tell that it's not an easy thing for you to do and they'd really appreciate your honesty and appreciate like ideally this is where the dickhead filter part comes in um if they can't kind of meet you in that place of vulnerability and because when people have brought it up to me like potential lovers like before we've had sex or whatever you know I'm just so chill about it for starters but also just so conscious that the way I react is going to be pretty impactful on them one way or another and I you know if I'm if I'm shaming or like get weird or afraid or like ew any of those reactions that I've heard definitely happen that's just going to be so damaging to them you know and it might even deter them from telling the next person so like you know mm-hmm. I'm I really go above and beyond to just make them feel as comfortable and like not judged and not disgusting and not re- repellent as possible and I'm I'm just like oh my god Everyone's got herpes. Who cares? Like, love that you told me. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, but like, please don't feel like I'm any less attracted to you. Please don't feel like, you know, like it's, it's, yeah. And then it invites us into this space of like better communication, more like connection and intimacy because we've had these like crunchy discussions that are a little bit vulnerable yeah. or uncomfortable. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity, really. Um, but that's just me. And that's hot. <laughs> That's hot. You know, and the thing is, like, I think all of us with rejection or with disclosure, we're afraid of rejection. That's the biggest thing because that rejection really impacts our self-worth when our self-worth is already impacted from a diagnosis like herpes because of the shame and stigma. And it really can, like, it really used to mess me up a lot when I would get rejected. And it would just be... A lot of therapy after that but that's not that's the thing like it doesn't it's not about the herpes the herpes just brings up all of these other unhealed self-worth issues that mm. are in me mm-hmm. and it's like that for other people too like I always say herpes is like 
a mirror that you're holding right in front of your face that's pressed into the tip of your nose, bringing up all your shit to heal. Mm. <laughs> it's not just about the herpes. It goes way deeper than that. And it's mostly like childhood shit yeah. that needs to be healed still. And that's usually when the herpes outbreaks come up when our childhood wounds are triggered. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Well, that's like, that segues perfectly into my next sort of line of questioning, which is around how to manage it holistically. And, um, you know, in fact, we could even broaden it out to like all vaginal infections now and, and then, and then definitely finish up the episode with like some more herpes specific tactics. Um, if there's anything that differs, but I feel like there is a lot of overlap with like vaginal infections of all kinds. Cause a lot of the contributing factors are the same, like stress, childhood trauma, um, you know, shame and how we feel about our bodies and sexuality or, um, and then diet and gut health and, and things like that. So yeah, like, I'd love to chat about, you know, your, I'd, I would love to hear your thoughts about the gap in Western medicine when it comes to vaginal infections, something that I'm quite passionate about. Um, and then, yeah, we can kind of <laughs> go into like some more, more detail about how to manage it holistically and like, yeah. Yeah. So the problem is with Western medicine, I mean, I'm not trying to knock Western medicine at all because I believe that a lot of the times, if we are struggling with an infection particularly, we need the help of Western medicine to treat the symptom in the short term just to give us some yeah. relief. Mm. But we need to manage it also holistically from a holistic approach to manage it long term. Yeah. And this is where there's such a huge gap in the Western medicine world and holistic healing world is because what do we do when we get an infection? We go to the doctor. They prescribe us the medication. We go home, take it, but it doesn't get to the root cause of the problem. It just mm-hmm. treats the symptom. And the doctors often, I know it's like this in Canada, but where it's kind of like we're in a factory, we're in, we're out, but they're like rushing yeah. us out. There's no kind of any kind of emotional support or with a herpes diagnosis that's loaded with shame and stigma, even HPV too and HIV also. You know, the viruses of sexually transmitted infections. These are things that are lifelong. And when you get a diagnosis like that, it's a, it's a lot to take on because not only are you like, well, what the fuck does that mean for my future? What does that mean for my sex life? What does that mean for my body and all the things? So you leave the doctor's office traumatized Mm -hmm. with no answers and then you're left to figure it out on your own and google is the absolute worst Mm -hmm. so (laughs) um that's why i do what i do is to kind of bridge that gap and to help people understand okay here's how i i've done all the research for you i've done all the shit work on google and i've taken all of that information and rewritten it into really easy friendly ways for you to understand Mm -hmm. how this virus works and how to manage it holistically because with herpes, you can take, you should take the medication to treat an outbreak because it goes away a lot faster. But in the meantime, in between outbreaks, even if you ever get one again, a holistic approach with your diet, with specific supplements and specific lifestyle practices to manage stress is so important to managing it and preventing it from coming back in the future. Mm, yeah. And remember I was talking about Earlier, I was talking about viral shedding, when your body is Mm. shedding the cells of the virus, 
And that's when it's most commonly transmitted. Remember I was talking about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Good, the good thing about um, the antiviral medication is that if you take it as a suppress, you can take that antiviral medication that doctors prescribe for herpes, which is Valtrex or Valcyclovir. If you take that every day as a suppressive therapy, it prevents that viral shedding and it reduces your risk of viral shedding in half of what it would be if you weren't taking the medication. Mm, okay. Wow. So if you, yeah, if you are somebody who lives with herpes, um, you know, I'm a holistic nutritionist and I don't like to talk about medicine very much. <laughs> I am not, I'm not one to take like Advil or aspirin or Tylenol or anything like that. But when it comes to trying to manage my herpes outbreaks and keeping, you know, preventing transmission to my partner and also giving me peace of mind, I will take the medication for myself personally yeah. to treat an outbreak, but also when I'm sexually active to protect, to add an additional layer of protection onto mm. my partner. And then I can also relax and enjoy it without worrying about transmitting anything. Yeah, cool. Which actually brings me to a point that I wanted to mention when we were talking about disclosing is that when you disclose, it takes all of that pressure off of you and puts 50% of the sexual responsibility onto your partner too when they Mm. understand the risks associated. Even though they may be really, 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 really like like 1% low it's really important that they understand that and that they can, you know, it takes a lot of the pressure off of you when you live with herpes. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Mm. And I, and I also think it's like, cool. I feel like we, when it comes to this division between, um, you know, Western medicine and then a more sort of alternative or holistic um approach sometimes there can people can be like so gung-ho one or the other um and so Mm. it is great that you mentioned like yeah i'm a holistic nutritionist it's not like i'm popping you know advil willy-nilly like i I generally try to avoid medications and that sort of allopathic medicine but it can be a really useful tool and this is when I do use it and this is when you know I can justify using it because it's really helpful for this and everything else I do is really holistic and you're kind of coming at it from and that is the definition of holistic it's coming at it from all the different angles and covering all the bases so it makes sense to me that you know part of your holistic um, management sort of strategy sometimes is taking some medication as well to kind of, you know, minimize the shedding and the, and the symptoms. Um, and the risk. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you one time I had, I had an outbreak and I didn't treat it with medication and it took about six weeks for it to heal. When I take the medication, it takes about one week. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I'm just like, listen, I don't like, I don't like to talk about medication, but I don't like to take medication, but I will preach this (laughs) because I don't know like some people are you know going through their outbreaks and managing them naturally and good for them but there is that option of being able to take the medication and manage it holistically Mm. to heal it faster Mm -hmm. yeah yeah cool yeah and different strokes for different folks I suppose and uh, you know some some people might not want to take the medication, but then they also might not have six week long outbreaks um, that ruin their fucking lives. So, you know, um, yeah. Um, so yeah. What about the things that we can do to like, just 
sort of generally to boost our immunity and our vaginal, like therefore our vaginal health um, holistically. Like what are some of the things that when clients come to you and they're like looking to um, reduce the frequency of their outbreaks and like, you know, reduce the risk of partners contracting it from shedding and things. And, you know, obviously probably going to start tackling their immune system and, yeah, where do you where do you begin? What are some of the approaches and the things that you recommend they do? Well, it's all connected to the health of your gut because because herpes is a virus, it depends on the health of your immune system. And because it's a virus of the nervous system, it also depends on the health of your nervous system. And both of those systems, as well as your endocrine system, responsible for your hormones, are connected to the health of your gut. And this is why your diet and specific supplements are really important because literally everything you put into your mouth is connected to the health of your gut and in your mind. As yeah. Well. yeah. So in terms of diet, it really is just trying to eat as natural and whole foods as possible. Like eating the rainbow of fruits and vegetables that are high in the immune boosting vitamins, like vitamins A, vitamin C, vitamin E, and vitamin S, S is selenium. Mm -hmm. So foods that are high in those vitamins are really important to boosting your immune system. It's the same thing with supplements. And then you want to really try to minimize the things that are going to cause inflammation in your body, which suppress your immune system and then Mm -hmm. also stress out your nervous system. So those things are like gluten, dairy, and sugar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everybody's favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Um, coffee, you know, caffeine, alcohol, unfortunately, <laughs> um, you know, cause that can really mess with our nervous system, our endocrine system, our hormones, like, and weaken our immune system too. alcohol, yeah. drugs, you know, anything that's going to suppress your immune system. Mm. Um, and yeah, so eating as whole natural foods as possible and eating foods that are high in these immune boosting vitamins and supplement. And so you can also supplement with those um, vitamins and adrenal support is really good for helping you to manage your stress. Magnesium, zinc is also really good. And what's really important is avoiding foods that are high in arginine, which is an amino acid, and including more foods that are high in lysine. Oh, can you give us some examples of foods that would be high? Because I haven't heard of the arsine was it arginine arginine (laughs) arginine and lysine (laughs) yeah what are some foods that we should be avoiding that are high and then what are some foods that are great with lots of lysine yeah so foods that are high in arginine of course are all of our favorite chocolate is high Uh in arginine nuts and seeds are high in arginine coconut of course because it's a nut arginine um corn products, bananas, um, some, a lot of Mm. meat products are high in arginine, like proteins are high in arginine, but a lot of proteins are also high in lysine. So they're okay okay to eat, but you know, in moderation, everything in moderation, of course. Mm. Um, yeah. So foods that are high in lysine, um, there's a lot, (laughs) it's hard to list them all, but good quality sources of protein are really good. Um, Actually, like some dairy products are high in lysine, like Parmesan cheese, for example, 
And I think mm. it's very low in, in lactose, which people are usually yeah. sensitive to. Yeah. Um, and then taking a really good high dose lysine supplement every day is really good as well. Ah, okay. So mm. I'm really surprised that um, seeds and nuts, I mean, so is that, is the arginine bad for, like, are we trying to avoid foods that are high in that for the vaginal infections or the, or the virus specifically? Or is it because they suppress like immunity because of gut health stuff or like what's, why is that bad? Because it can trigger the herpes outbreaks, whether they be vaginally or orally. Mm, okay. It so it's both of them. It's specific to herpes then. It's specific to herpes. Yeah. But not <sighs> everybody is sensitive to foods. Like I can eat a handful of nuts and a couple squares of chocolate every day and have no problem. Okay. But somebody has a little bit of peanut butter and bam, they get an outbreak. Mm. So and some, what about some people if people are more sensitive than others? Yeah. What about if you were to have something high in arginine? So like, you know, banana, no, peanut, peanut butter. And then you paired it with something high in lysine. Would it like help things? Would it kind of cancel out a little bit or like, nah? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I don't know, actually, physiologically, <laughs> how that would work in the body. But um, I would say, I, I don't know, I would say no, but I don't know. Yeah, okay, um, that's fair, I that's would just fair. Try, like, yeah, it's, it really depends on the person. Everybody is different. Like some people, again, are really sensitive to foods. Mm. And some people doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. But I always just, again, just it's moderation. Totally. Still yeah. enjoy those things, but moderately yeah cool well it's just helpful to know anyway like say someone has herpes and they they're just kind of learning this now that um there's certain foods that could be triggering then they can just pay attention to that and like notice what what foods they are sensitive to or even just cut them out to be safe um and minimize the the likelihood of having an outbreak so that's really cool um and and I'd love to, yeah, I want to go a little bit deeper into into all of this, like kind of holistically managing vaginal health in general and everything. But I do want to ask you if you've got a TMI story because it is time for <laughs> TMI. We love it. TMI, we love it. TMI, we love it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. What do you What do you got for us, Adrian? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, where do I even start? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you my, this is the first thing that popped into my mind. Perfect. I used to date a, a guy who was a chef and we used to be really experimental sexually and we used to love trying different produce and fruits and vegetables. <laughs> as like phallic, you know, vegetables and fruits uh -huh. were a lot of fun. So one time he took a cucumber and he shaped it in the shape of a penis. Like he whittled and, it with a knife? <laughs> Oh, he's just chef. Yeah. He's got skills. Yeah. Okay, of course. <laughs> yeah, he has skills. And he, so, you know, cut the skin off. So anyways, we were using it and he was got going kind of rough with me, on me with it. And the tip of it broke off inside of me. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Like too deep, like deep, like really, really deep. Ooh. I had to, oh my God, we couldn't reach it with our fingers. So literally, he's down there at my vagina. He's got his 
fingers spreading each side of my lips open and I'm pushing. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going to the hospital for this. So I'm like <laughs> in labor giving birth to the head of this cucumber penis. <laughs> and all of a sudden it pops out like, you know, that, you know, when you put your finger in your mouth to make that popping sound. Yeah. It popped out. <laughs> oh my God. Thank God it did. Thank God it came out. So that was. <sighs> Yeah. Wow. I just can't even count how many people have stories about getting things stuck in their vaginas. Although the head of a cucumber cock is definitely a first. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's fabulous. Fuck yeah. That was a really good addition to this segment. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) It was funny. funny. So, all right. All right. How can we, I'm thinking like, what, what are some things that I want to really like cover before we wrap up? Cause we're getting towards the end of the episode. Um, I feel like, you know, a lot of the core principles of like the holistic approach to managing and, and maintaining vaginal health. Like I said earlier, like, you know, there's some overlap. There's a lot that it's pretty much the same across the board. It's like stress, you know, gut health, um, and, and diet, of course, leads into that. So, you know, whether it's for yeast infections or UTIs or BV or herpes, but is there anything specific to herpes? I mean, actually, you did just kind of cover this with the lysine and the arginine. I've already forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything sort yeah. of specific that, like, you know, we should be doing um, in terms of, like, managing managing a virus and and minimizing outbreaks and risk like you know do you often counsel people on like ways to minimize stress um are there mm-hmm. you know I, you you more or less covered it but i just want to know like you know i don't know what i don't know so maybe there's something glaringly obvious that we haven't talked about or covered that you're like let's do it <laughs> yeah i think for me i think the biggest part of my herpes healing my healing herpes or herpes healing journey and really trying to get to come to terms with my diagnosis and then seeing it as more of a friend as a, mm. an enemy mm. and really just seeing it that when it comes up it is like I say it's like a lighthouse beacon of my health kind of thing like mm. it's like if I get a herpes outbreak which doesn't happen very often anymore but when it does, it's like my body is going off with lights and sirens and whistles and red things flashing that they're like, my, my vagina is like, bitch, you need to slow the fuck down. Okay. Because we're, we're, we're stressed. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good indication of where you're at in your health. And instead of, I used to go through this, like, I call it the shame spiral where I would just, my heart would sink into my stomach when I'd get an outbreak and I would cause I would be so stressed out and I'd be down there with a mirror every hour like obsessed Mm. and just obsess about it and now I'm just like I've come to really good terms with it and I think the key for my healing journey of all of this is the self-love practice that I've really incorporated into my lifestyle and made a pretty nice habit of it (laughs) consistently because like the self-love stuff, I was never taught growing up this sort of thing. And um, when I really started prioritizing my self-care and really like making sure that I'm resting a lot because mm. sleep is also when you're not getting enough sleep, that's a big trigger of herpes mm. outbreak. So prioritizing my rest, like really slowing it down, minimizing my stress, like 
I have a self-care Sunday that I also like to call fuck it Sunday or <laughs> do whatever I want and eat whatever I want and like, and just indulge and treat myself, mm-hmm. you know, and really just drop the shoulds and the, all the pressure of what I think I should be doing. So, you know, that has been huge for me and really just giving myself that love so I can go into these disclosure conversations, not, ex- you know, being all, always disappointed if I get rejected, but also being like, I can handle this. Like I've got faith in myself that something better will come along and it'll, you know, thank you next. It makes it a lot easier to be coming from that confident place with yeah. that self love. Yeah. But it's also really healing and soothing for your nervous system, which is of course good for herpes. Yeah, totally. Your nervous system are connected. Mm, yeah which I mean like I think it's a cool I used to struggle with just chronic um thrush and BV like recurring vaginal infections and it just fucking ruined my life um for a few years back there yeah just it was like when you were talking about how it really fucked with you for that like three-year period where you were just getting the back-to-back um in like that was I was like oh my god I get it that was me as well um and yeah how did you manage it well, I tried like every single thing under the fucking sun and it's really tough to know what did it. It was probably a combination of things because I was trying so many things at once. But yeah, very, very much like gut health, stress, relief. Um, I cut out sugar completely for like over a year. I took like disgusting amounts of probiotics that I would like, I would get these like really specific strains and brands that I had to fly over from the States and spent all my money on supplements and probiotics and, you know, um, pessaries that I would shove up my vag and I, I did Chinese med, I did Ayurveda, I did nutritional medicine, naturopathy, like you name it. I've, I've done it all and I've tried it all and I've had like, you know, periods of time in my life where I was taking like 20 different things like three times a day like this chinese medicine herbal tincture and these probiotics up my vag and these probiotics in my mouth and then so i don't fucking know nothing seemed to really help you know most of the time but eventually things just slowly got better and better and so i guess it's just i've eventually done a lot of gut protocols and um, yeah, I think, I think heals my gut to an extent. There's still a bit of work to do, but, um, I haven't had any vaginal infections for probably like t- three years now. And I was getting them wow. like every month or every time I'd have sex. Oh. I think also like the partner that I was with, um, my vag mm. was just rejecting like his bacteria. And I think like, you know, cause I, cause I want to touch on, um, the kind of, emotional and energetic side of this which is perfect because yeah it links in but I feel like because I was doing the whole polyamory open relating thing and I think having multiple sexual partners is like one thing that you know increases the the risk of getting bv and and infections and stuff but then also like emotionally and energetically I was stretching myself thin I was like really struggling with a lot of that lifestyle a lot of the time. Um, and so, you know, and then there was of, often um, sort of times where my like primary partner 
wouldn't tell me that he had slept with like was was actually like dating someone else and then they weren't using protection and I kind of I think there was things going on that my body knew and was like fuck this fuck this dick uh uh-uh, uh no thank you but that my mind didn't quite know or admit to yet and so once I left that whole kind of scene and that relationship and um yeah, sort of just went I, I went celibate for a period of time as well because it just was like my vagina did not want anything in it. Um yeah, so I, I mean I tried heaps of stuff, but then pretty much it's been like totally in the clear, perfect since um since I left that relationship and then since I've been with my partner now, like haven't haven't gotten thrush once, which is quite amazing because I used to get thrush every time I'd have sex with a new partner. Um Wow. But yeah, like I'd I'd love to talk a bit about because you mentioned childhood trauma being being something that kind of triggered it, and then of course, like I would imagine our attitude and our belief systems around around it. If there if there's more like mm-hmm. shame or if there's um, conditioning and like sort of repression, like you know, all of these things I'd imagine mm-hmm. would contribute. What's your experience with that? And like, do you coach your clients on that side of things as well? Not just the physical? Yes. Mm. Yeah, because it's all a part of a holistic approach is really like looking at the mind, body and soul. And I know mm. that sounds really cheesy, but it's true. <laughs> because energetically, emotionally, metaphysically, herpes it also has an effect on herpes and can trigger herpes outbreaks. And it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Like if, if anybody's familiar with the chakras, which are seven different energy centers in the body, herpes is usually related to the bottom two chakras, which is your root chakra and your sacral chakra, which are both your roots responsible for like safety, security, um, Anger, there's a lot of emotions and energies associated with the root chakra. And then the sacral chakra is also responsible for your sexuality and your creativity. And when these things are blocked energetically by our emotions, things can manifest, disease can manifest in those areas. I know that's really woo-woo, but it's true. Yeah, it totally. Is yeah. Incredible how like how this stuff works. And mm. like for me, for example, Whenever I get an outbreak is when something is going on, when there's kind of a tumultuous home environment or when there's conflict at home in a relationship at home, Mm. just because like the trauma that I had as a child growing up, being from a divorced family, moving around all the time, et cetera. It just brings it up. It's just like my nervous system remembers. It's like it's imprinted on my nervous system and I just go Mm. into this fight or flight stress and boom, I get an outbreak. Yeah in those instances. Mm. So it really goes to show you, like in that case, it is very energetic and emotional. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I I noticed that too with, with my body as well. Like it's never just a physical thing. And usually once I deal with the emotional or energetic side of it, it, it sort of chills out. Like I, I love um, Christiane Northrup's book women's bodies women's wisdom because it's so like holistic in that like it does talk about that side of things a lot and like yeah it might sound weird to a lot of people but you know she's a she's a a a doctor and has come from I think maybe she might even be a surgeon anyway she's a doctor and a gyno and she comes from that really really western medical model but then has also got this really holistic and 
kind of spiritual approach these days as well. And I just find her work really amazing. And the book's great because it combines all of it and, and it validates all of it as, you know, important and things that contribute. Um, but I, yeah, I, I kind of think like it's so hard to think of it in the moment when you, when you're battling with it as a gift. <laughs> but, and, and I don't mm. think it's fully a gift, but I think, you know, having these challenges with our health, it's definitely an opportunity uh, to get closer to your body, to listen more deeply to your body. You know, it forces you, and I absolutely hated and resented it at the time, but I do think it kind of forces you to just be way healthier and pay way more attention to what, you know, you're putting in your body and the stress levels and your lifestyle. Like it does, you know, it could be seen as a bit of a positive or a bit of a gift in a way. Um, and sucks that we need that sometimes we need our bodies to just spit the dummy completely to remind us to treat it better but um yeah i mean do you kind of see it as something that now sort of keeps you in check a little bit and 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 means that you're being kinder to yourself just because you're trying to manage it yeah yeah definitely like i've really learned how to prioritize my self-care and really take good care of myself so that i can manage it and it's working. And it's just like, if I didn't have that, I probably would have been wild, especially in my younger <laughs> years, <laughs> maybe even now still. I mean, it really has also taught me to date differently. Mm. But uh, it's so hard sometimes because there's really no recipe. Like guys that I thought that were going to be totally cool with it weren't. And guys that I thought would never be cool with it were. So it's just like, wow. yeah. Yeah, it's been it, but it really has forced me to date differently and kind of use a bit more judgment when I'm choosing partners and take my time a little bit more with them. Mm. Um, but sometimes, you know, I also just want to have casual sex with people because I've been single for a long time. So it, <laughs> yeah. it is like, you know, but I always do tell people before, like even in casual situations, yeah. especially because I talk about herpes so publicly online, I wouldn't want them to find out after. Yeah, totally. I tell them, yeah, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it has really changed my life. And I would say for the most part, for the better, it really has Mm -hmm. forced me to like really work on those traumas, those self-worth stuff and like the abandonment rejection issues that I have. Yeah, It's um, been a lot of healing work, a lot of therapy, a lot of, a lot of healing, but it's Mm -hmm. been like, that's such a blessing in disguise. Mm, yeah beautiful. and I hear that from a lot of people like my mm. like people who have accepted their herpes diagnosis I hear that a lot mm, yeah so cool so cool and really like a beautiful place to kind of end the episode you know on um thank you so much thank you so much for being so open and sharing so generously with your knowledge and like your your personal experiences I think it's just so important to be having these conversations and I really really hope that this has been helpful and um educational and and yeah um useful for people listening especially if if it's like kind of a new topic for them or if they're like freshly uh coming to terms with the diagnosis themselves I would like super highly recommend following Adrian at the Yoni Nutritionist on Instagram. Heaps of really valuable content. And of course, the Facebook group that she's got. I'll put all of the details to um, 
your website and, and the groups and things like that in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like to just leave, leave the listeners with or end on? Yeah. So, you know, if you are living with herpes, just know, just know that you are not alone and there's mm. lots of things that you can do to manage it. It's a very manageable virus. It's just the shame and stigma. That's the worst part. It's even worse than the actual virus itself. Mm. And if you need help, if you need support, if you want to learn more about specifics about your diet, about specific supplements and herbs in a real holistic approach to managing, preventing and healing your herpes outbreaks, I have an online, it's kind of like a book, I guess. It's like an ebook that I wrote. Mm. It's called Healing Herpes Holistically, um, which you can find on my website or you can, my main hub of conversation of, of communication is my Instagram, which is at Yoni nutritionist, mm-hmm. all one word. So yeah, if you live with herpes, I've got lots of tools and resources that can help you. And I offer one-on-one support calls as well. If you really need to talk to somebody who's been through it all and who gets it because <laughs> I do. Mm-hmm. Yes, bitch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was so good. <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> I'm going to make Lucky listen to this episode and he'll be like, okay, all right, <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> it works. Oh, love it. Thank you so much. And I'm so stoked that, yeah, there are epic resources. Like it is such a gift when someone like you comes along and like does all the yucky research for us and like grabs all of the resources and puts it all in one little spot and then you're like, boom. Like, you know, if only you, when you were 20 years old, had have, had have had that um, to access. So it's it's yeah. so amazing that you've got that available for people. And, yeah, I would super encourage all of you to get on over there. Um, and also yeah. while you're at it, fuck go. Fuck the stigma. Yeah, fuck the Sorry. stigma. <laughs> fuck the <laughs> no, no, stigma. No, no. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was speaking of stigma. I was just going to encourage people to go and get um a labia lounge face mask from my website because it's, yeah, I mean, labia are pretty stigmatized too. And like, why wouldn't you just want to have like a big old pussy couch logo on your face um, where your other lips are? (laughs) I'm still waiting for mine in the mail, but I just made up some um, face masks for merch. And it's been so funny because like Lockie's been, my partner's been wearing the t-shirt with like a big pussy couch and the words labia lounge on it like to work and he'd, he'll go into cafes and stuff and say that like he gets all these weird looks and people are like kind of squinting trying to read it and figure out why he has a big <laughs> big vulva on his t-shirt and obviously assuming he's like some misogynistic like wanker with a totally like gross t-shirt um but anyway if you want one of those on your face grab a face mask you can get yourself a t-shirt fanny pack you name it um and definitely check out the ebook on uh, on Adrian's website. I'll put I'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you, Adrian. It's been a pleasure. Great, thank Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. 
Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT, and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.